Sometimes when you pray, you just whisper. You mutter under your breath. You talk quietly. But there are also times when you need to shout, when you need to scream. There will be times in your life when whispering a prayer is not what you need. You need to scream. You need to shout your prayer list. Because sometimes what you are going through and what's weighing on your heart can't appropriately be expressed with a whisper. It needs to be expressed with a shout, a scream. We were just singing about it. Cry out to Jesus. Sometimes that means you really scream. So if you want to keep yourself from going crazy when your life is crazy, shout to God and whisper to yourself. And that's what David does in Psalm 35. Turn there in your Bibles. David breaks all the rules of the so-called quiet time. David screams during his quiet time in Psalm 35. And sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes your quiet time, when you spend time with the Lord, sometimes your quiet time should cause your neighbors to be concerned. Sometimes they may think you're crazy because you're screaming so loud. Sometimes your quiet time, your devotional time with Jesus, sometimes your quiet time should cause your neighbors to ask themselves, should we call the police? What's going on in their house? In Psalm 35, David shouts, but he also talks to himself. He whispers to himself. He mumbles under his breath. If you saw David at Starbucks, you might think he was crazy because he was always talking to himself, always mumbling under his breath. And sometimes people might think you're crazy for talking to yourself, but that's exactly how you keep yourself from going crazy. People might think you're crazy because you're talking to yourself, but that might be the very thing, talking to yourself, that might be the very thing that keeps you from going crazy. You think about God. You talk to yourself about God. That's meditation. That's what it means to meditate on God and his word. So if you want to keep yourself from going crazy when life is crazy and you want to have a healthy mental and spiritual life, Shout to God and whisper to yourself. We'll unpack that as we go along. And that's what David does in Psalm 35. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So look at verse 17 and hear the word of the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lion's. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. So we saw last week in Psalm 35 that David had enemies who wanted him to end up permanently in a cemetery with no flowers adorning his grave. These people hated David. But we also saw last week that sometime in the past, David had actually helped these people out. He fasted and prayed when they were sick. They were on his prayer list, and now he's on their hit list. They have turned on him. And that can happen in life. People can turn on you. And it hurts. And it's terrible. 
But there's something seemingly more terrible than someone turning on you, and it's this. When God seems inactive, and that's David in verse 17. He is questioning God on why it's taking him so long to take out his javelin and spear and use it on these people that want him dead. So David is saying, how long until you reveal to my enemies that you have a wonderful plan for their life? Namely, your spear and javelin. Remember in verse 1, he said that. He asked for the Lord to do that. Or in verse 3 of last week. The betrayal and the backstabbing of people that you once helped and were close to are awful. But that pales in comparison when it seems like God is inactive in your life. When it seems like God is doing nothing about your problems. When it seems like God is not answering your prayers. And that word seems is a very important qualifier because God is always involved in our lives. God is always doing something in our lives. Just because it may seem like he's doing nothing, that doesn't mean that he's doing nothing. God is always working behind the scenes to bring us good. But sometimes we have to wait on that good to show up. We have to wait on God to show up. Now, of course, we don't like that very much, do we? We don't like waiting. We want answers yesterday. It's like we're allergic and we break out in hives when we have to wait on God. You've heard me say it so many times, but it bears repeating again. Waiting is the hardest part of discipleship. God often works in weeks and months, sometimes years, sometimes decades. And we want him to work in seconds, minutes, hours, days. Days tops, okay? Days tops. We're okay with days as long as it's just a few days But please, Jesus, don't make us wait weeks or more, right? We can handle days. We don't want weeks, months, years, decades. And so we wait, and we wait, and we wait for God to intervene. And it seems like God is just sitting back and watching us. Like he's a spectator, doing nothing but watching. Like he's sitting in the mall and just people watching. It kind of seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? Well, David wants Yahweh to quit looking on, as he says in verse 17. He's saying, quit people watching and actually intervene and do something in my life. He needs Yahweh to put down his binoculars and rescue him. And I think by asking to be rescued, David is at the same time reminding himself and whispering to himself that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, that Jesus is a God who has a habit of rescuing his people. Yes, David is asking for rescue, but by asking for rescue, I think he's also whispering to himself that Yahweh can rescue him. And so it's as if David is discipling his own heart. You have to do that sometimes. As you pray, as you ask Jesus to do things for you, you have to, at the same time, be whispering to your heart and reminding your heart of who Jesus is and what he can do. He can rescue. He has a reputation in the Old Testament and the New of rescuing his people 
from trouble. So as you pray for Jesus to act, think about what his actions say about him. As you want him to act in your life, think about what that action means. When you say, rescue me, that implies that Jesus is a rescuer. When you say, deliver me, that implies that Jesus really is a deliverer. And when you say, forgive me, that implies that Jesus is a forgiver. Don't you just love that? Jesus is a forgiver. He's a forgiver of sin. He's a forgiver of all the awful sin that you did yesterday that you don't want to tell anybody about. Jesus knows and he forgives you freely. No questions asked. You want to be forgiven? Okay. He doesn't stick you in a timeout. He doesn't put you on probation. You got to wait a little bit. He just says, I freely forgive. When you shout, rescue me, you're also at the same time whispering to your heart that Jesus is a rescuer and so on. So you have to disciple your own heart as you pour your heart out to Jesus. Your own prayers can be like reading a systematic theology book. Your prayers can actually do double duty. They can help you pour your heart out to Jesus, but they can also instruct your heart about who Jesus is and what he can do at the same time. And so prayer actually becomes a way that you can grow in your knowledge of who God is. I mean, think about that. Even our cry of how long, O Lord, should remind us and instruct us that one, God does not move according to our timetables. When you cry out, how long, O Lord, until you answer my prayers, you are implying that God does not work according to your timetable. And when you cry out, how long, O Lord, you're reminding yourself that God may have you wait on him. And so we lament, and Psalm 35 is a psalm of lament. We lament, we cry out, wondering how long our suffering must last. But that cry also teaches us that God does not follow our timetables. He doesn't do things the way we want him to do it all the time. And it also reminds us that we may have to wait on him. Weeks, months, years, maybe even decades. And get this, to our cry of how long, O oh Lord, to our cry of we want answers yesterday, Jesus replies, I had the answer in my mind in eternity past. You let that simmer while you simmer. See, whatever problems we are facing today, God knew them in eternity past and he had the answer to our problems and the answer to our prayers in eternity past. We want answers yesterday and Jesus had the answers in his mind in eternity past. That ought to comfort your heart while you wait and while you cry out, how long, O oh Lord, will you look on? Verse 17 also reminds us that God sees all that David is enduring, even if he doesn't intervene immediately. Verse 17 is telling us that Jesus is aware that we are under the Holy Spirit's care. We are under his watchful eye. And you have to know this about God. His eyes are attached to his heart. 
His ears are attached to his heart. So God sees all that is happening in your life and he hears your prayers and your cries to him. And if you will, okay, that's an important disclaimer. If you will, all that information that God sees with his eyes and hears with his heart, if you will, all of that information travels into his heart, which then causes him to intervene in your life. His heart moves him to answer, moves him to intervene. And his heart moves him to even wait and delay sometimes. Listen, God's delays are driven by his heart. Let me say that again because someone here needs to hear it. God's delays in your life when it seems like he's dragging his feet and taking his time, they are driven by his heart. If you're waiting on God to answer your prayers, know that his heart is behind his delays. He knows what is best for you. You don't. You have no idea. You think you do. I think I know what's best for my life. And sometimes I get my way and I'm like, oh, this is not good at all. God knows what is best for you. His heart is behind it all. And that's why you can trust him when it seems like he's just on the sidelines doing nothing. His heart moves him to action, even to delay, because he knows what is best for us. That said, we are still free to cry out, how long, how long, Jesus, how long must I wait? We are still free to cry out like that. I love that about Jesus. He's a big boy. He can handle it. He allows us to cry out, to scream, to shout, how long until you answer me? David does this. He begs for rescue from these people who he uh, says they're like ravenous lions. And in verse 18, David tells Yahweh, he tells the Lord, if you deliver me, I will book it to church and I will give you praise. I will go public with my praise. I'll put it on Instagram. I'll put it on Facebook. He says, I'll start telling everybody about your faithfulness if you come through for me. Listen, don't forget to tell other people that Jesus has come through for you. Don't forget to tell them that you were in a jam, that you were in a pickle, and Jesus came through for you. Maybe you could find two to three people this week and tell them how Jesus has come through for you, how he answered your prayers. Why not invite them to rejoice with you? David plans on doing that, but until Yahweh intervenes... He prays that Jesus wouldn't let any of his enemies do any kind of rejoicing. David prays, Yahweh, Lord, keep them from high-fiving one another. Don't let them have an end zone celebration. Look at verse 17. Let not, or actually it's uh, not 17. It's 19. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. 
For they do not seek peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. So if these people run their mouths, David says, I'm going to run my mouth to the Lord at church. If they want to be a chatterbox, David says, I'll go to church and be a chatterbox. And they must have been laughing it up because three times David says in verse 19, 24, and 26, he says, do not let them rejoice. He doesn't want to see these people fist bump each other at his expense because these people hate David, he says, without a cause. He says, they're like lions, viciously attacking me, ripping me apart verbally. They say one thing and then they wink at each other, David says, knowing they will do the opposite. They're not people of peace. He says they love drama. They thrive on it. They appear to love peace, but then he says they wink at each other knowing that they have wicked plans for David. So they're like being nice to David to his face, but then they kind of wink at each other like, we're going to get him. So they lie and they make up things about David. They say, aha, we have seen it with our own eyes. We saw David do this. David said this. David did this. And they present it as truth. And they're going around to other people and saying, this is what David is like. This is what he said. This is what he did. And it's all lies. Understand this. There will be people in your life who will lie about you. They will spread misinformation about you. Their misperceptions will cause them to say false things about you to other people. And that's why God gave you Psalm 35. That's why God put Psalm 35 in the Bible, so that you would have language and words that you could use to express your anger, to express your sadness, etc. Psalm 35 is in the Bible to remind you that when haters hate, prayers pray. And sometimes, like David, your haters will be former friends who spread lies about you and want to see your downfall. And so what do you do? You do what David does here. You go to God with your words. You don't try to vindicate yourself to other people. You don't try to run around in this campaign. I'm like, I got to clear up my reputation because they're saying this about me, but that's not true. So I got to make sure I go to every person and just, did he say anything? Did she say anything about me? That's not true. You go to God with your words and you let God vindicate you. You don't try to vindicate yourself. God will do that in his time. Now, the hard part is waiting for vindication. And there's that word again, waiting. I'm sorry, I said the W word. You hate that word, don't you? And so do I. The hard part is waiting and saying, how long, oh Lord, how long until I'm vindicated? Because what they're saying is not true. But now everybody believes them. But the time will come when you will be vindicated. And so you trust him while you wait. And so while he waits, David recalibrates his own heart He reminds himself that Yahweh has perfect vision. David's enemies may claim to see things. Aha, we have seen it. This is what he's like. This is what he said. This is what he did. They may claim to see things and know things about David, but David knows there is someone else who sees everything. So notice the contrast between they say it and they they say they saw it and then they started telling everybody Contrast that with God sees everything. Look at verse 22. You have seen, O Yahweh. Be not silent. 
O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Yahweh, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. They're saying David is this way and they're presenting themselves as being perfect and having it all together. His haters claim to have seen things about David, but David squashes all of that. All the things that they're saying about him, claiming that they saw. David's like this. David said this. David squashes all that in verse 32 with five words. You have seen, O Yahweh. That phrase, you have seen, can get you through a lot of relational drama. That phrase, you have seen, can calm you down when other people spread lies and misinformation about you. You can trust that Jesus has seen it all. He will vindicate. He sees. He knows. People may spread lies about you. They may make others see you in the light that they are painting you with. But Jesus sees it all. He knows what is true. You rest in that and you let him vindicate you. You can also almost feel the desperation in David's prayer as if every request in these verses has an exclamation point attached at the end. Now, of course, there are no exclamation points at the end of these sentences in the original Hebrew language, but the English translators add them to capture the feeling behind David's prayers. These are prayers that need to be screamed. David is not saying, Oh, Lord, be not silent. Be not far from me. No. These are prayers that need to be screamed. These are prayers that need to be used with an elevated voice. These prayers need exclamation points at the end. And so David is telling them that if you want to keep yourself from going crazy, when your life is crazy, you got to shout to God and whisper to yourself. Understand this. Sometimes... You have to add exclamation points to your prayers. Don't be afraid to raise your voice when you pray. Sometimes you need to pour your heart out in shouts and not just whispers. Sometimes you need to have a quiet time that makes your neighbors wonder if they should call the cops. The church needs to bring exclamation points back. Exclamation points back to prayer. Because I know there are times when what you are going through is so overwhelming that you want to scream at Jesus, but you feel like that would be improper. I think we can scream at Jesus. Now, of course, when I say that we can scream at Jesus, I'm not saying that by screaming at him we are blaming him for anything because he's good. He never sins. He's perfect. We're not blaming Jesus when we scream at him. We scream Because it matches the pain in our hearts. That's why we scream in prayer. That's why we shout. We scream because it 
matches the pain that we're going through. We scream because that feels like the right way to communicate the pain, the suffering, and the heartbreak that we are experiencing. Just like Jesus did when he was on the earth. What does the author of Hebrews tell us in Hebrews 5, 7? It says that he offered up prayers with loud cries and tears. Picture Jesus praying to his father. Help me. Help me. Give me strength. With loud cries and tears. That's one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible. It reminds us that Jesus was just like us, except he was without sin. He knows what it is like to be suffered, to suffer. He knows what it is like to be hated. He knows what it is like to be betrayed. We saw it a few weeks ago. He was betrayed hours by all of his best friends. Betrayed the night before he was crucified. Hours before they all abandoned him and left him. So when I say that sometimes you need to scream your prayers, what I mean is that sometimes you are so desperate, your heart is breaking so much, you are so angry at the evil and injustices in this world that a scream is appropriate. A scream is the only way to pray. You just have to scream. You don't want to whisper. You have to scream because screaming matches what's in your heart. Sometimes you have to pray and scream, Jesus, I know you see this. Will you please do something about it? Don't be silent. Arise. Get up. I know you hate this evil. I know you hate this injustice. So please stop looking on and do something about it. You can pray that way, just like David does in Psalm 35. And just like Jesus did. It may make some of you uncomfortable, but I promise you, you'll probably, if you do this, you will probably feel like you really cast your burden on the Lord when you do so. There's something about screaming and and getting the pain out loudly in prayer that makes you feel like, I actually cast my burden on the Lord. There's something about adding exclamation points at the end of your prayers that can settle your heart. Maybe the reason you feel like you aren't successful in casting your burdens on the Lord is because you didn't scream and shout your prayer. Something to think about. David is pro-shout. He will proselytize for shouting as he ends Psalm 35. David is all about making disciples who know how to shout, who know how to scream. David just loves shouting. But he's a whisperer too. Look at verse 27. Let those who delight in my righteousness or his vindication, shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is Yahweh who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So if the Lord rescues and delivers David, then David tells the Lord he will go public with his praise. If the Lord rescues, David will go to church and sing his lungs out. He will tell others that Yahweh is a rescuer. 
in David's mind, there should only be one person rejoicing in this situation, and that's him. But not just him. He wants his praise to be contagious and spread to other people. If there is to be a party, it should be David throwing it, not his enemies. If there's a party with people rejoicing, it should be David and company, the church, not the people that want him dead. David wants to be able to say, we haven't church today, y'all. And he tells us why in verse 27. The Lord delights to do good to his people. Isn't that wonderful? This is why we be having church. Because the Lord delights to do good to his people. Because Jesus delights to do good to us. It brings him joy to rescue and deliver us. He actually delights in it. He doesn't do it reluctantly. He doesn't do it. He doesn't answer our prayers robotically just because like, this is my job. They cry out, they pray, I answer another day in paradise. No. He delights to do it. It thrills the heart of God to answer your prayers. I hope that's how you view Jesus. I hope that's how you view Jesus when you have to wait on him. When you wait days and weeks, months, years, maybe even decades. I hope you picture him grinning, ready to answer your prayers in his time and in his way, but also with his grin. Add that phrase to your thinking. Jesus answers our prayers in his time and in his way with his grin. Jesus is going to answer your prayers in his time, in his way, according to his wisdom. But he's going to do it with a smile on his face. And that image of Jesus will change how you wait on him to deliver and rescue you. Picture Jesus smiling as he prepares to rescue you. Picture him delighting to intervene in your life. Picture, as verse 27 says, how great the Lord is... And yet he delights to stoop down and humble himself and care for his suffering people. So if Yahweh delivers David and his praise is contagious and causes other people to shout, David says, I'll start talking to myself. If you answer my prayers, I'll start talking to myself. And David says in verse 28, then my tongue shall tell. He actually uses the Hebrew word for meditate. It's the Hebrew word haggah. This Hebrew word has the idea of vocalizing or muttering or murmuring under your breath. It means to vocalize what your mind is preoccupied with. It means that what's in your mind comes out of your mouth. That's the Old Testament idea of meditation. It's not just thinking. It's thinking about something and then saying it out loud. It's the same word used in Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. It's also used in Isaiah 38 of a a dove cooing. Uh, It's used in Isaiah 31 of a lion growling over its prey. It's used in Isaiah 16, 7 as the people moan and mutter for raisin cakes. They're so hungry that what occupies their minds leads them to moan for food. Your kids do Old Testament meditation all the time, don't they? We want in and out. Why can't we have in and out? We want panda. Why can't we have panda? We do that too, don't we, adults? Kids, just so you know, your parents do the exact same thing. That's the Hebrew word for meditate. In the Old Testament, you think with your mouth. 
Meditation doesn't just involve the mind, it also involves the mouth. It's like the dad on a Christmas story, you know, Red Rider, BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out. What's the dad doing in the whole movie? Right? He's always mumbling and murmuring, muttering under his breath. That's the idea of this word, Hagah. It involves making audible what you are thinking about, reciting it, vocalizing, muttering, murmuring under your breath. So David is saying, if you come through for me, Lord, I'll go around muttering about your righteousness. I'll murmur your praise. J.I. Packer explains biblical meditation in his classic book, Knowing God. He says, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing so, uh, the rule for doing this is demanding but simple. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Meditation is a lost art today, and Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. Its effect is ever to humble us as we contemplate God's greatness and glory and our own littleness and sinfulness and to encourage and reassure us, comfort us in the old, strong Bible sense of the word as we contemplate the unsearchable riches of divine mercy displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what David says he will do in verse 28. He'll talk to himself, murmur, m- mutter under his breath. And so Psalm 35 is telling us that we must argue with ourselves, reasoning ourselves out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. And so understand this, a lot of discipleship involves talking to yourself. You have to get up in your own face when you're down and out and tell yourself to look up to Jesus. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see Jesus again. You have to look like a crazy person and just start talking to yourself about who Jesus is and what he can do. Whispering truth to yourself, mumbling the promises of God. You'll look crazy doing it, but it'll keep you from going crazy. If you want to keep yourself from going crazy when your life is crazy, you've got to shout to God and whisper, murmur, meditate to yourself. That's what you do when haters hate. That's what David did in Psalm 35. David knows haters going to hate. I've got to start talking to myself then. 
Jesus actually experienced a lot of Psalm 35 haters in his life. Like David, when he said three times in this psalm, David said, for without cause they hid their nets for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. They hate me without cause. So too Jesus himself was hated without cause. He faced the hatred of the world without cause. He was perfect. He never sinned. In fact, Jesus quotes Psalm 35 in John 15. Let me read it to you. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And so Jesus is actually the fulfillment of Psalm 35. And he reminds us that the world hates him and the world hates his father and the world hates his people, the church. Now, of course, there is no basis for this hatred. It's just the sinful heart that resists the goodness of God. And here's the goodness of God. He sends his own son to live and die for our sins, for our transgressions, for our rebellion. And he accepts Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf because it satisfies his righteous justice. And then he credits us with Jesus' righteousness, with Jesus' perfect life. And even though God does this for his enemies, the world still hates him without cause. Jesus is the heart of God in human flesh, loving and caring for and healing and ministering to fallen sinners, and yet he was opposed every step of the way without cause. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, a passage you're familiar with, I'm sure, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. But he was despised. He was rejected for us. He was acquainted with grief for us. Stricken, smitten, afflicted. So that we sinners and rebels might be made right with a holy God. So that we could experience the smile of God in our lives. Let me ask you this morning. Do you hate him? Do you hate Jesus? Or do you love him? He delights to do you good. His smile is over your life. Why turn away? Why the hatred? Why not come to him? Come to him who faced the hatred of the world. Come to him who faced the righteous anger of God at our sin on the cross. Why not come to him today and be welcomed and be loved? He's standing with, he's not, Jesus, your view of Jesus may be that he's standing there like this. (sighs) Really? No. No. He doesn't wag a finger. He's standing there with his arms open wide and saying, come to me. What are you waiting for? I'll forgive you. I'll love you forever. 
and I'll bring you home with me. Will you let him love you today? Maybe you're a Christian here today and you still struggle to receive his love. Maybe you think you're dirty. You just kind of have that, that low hum of you just feel dirty. You don't feel clean. You just feel unclean. Maybe you can't seem to lick that sin that you, and you think Jesus won't have you because of that, because you still struggle with that. He will have you. Don't resist him. Come. By his wounds you are healed. Listen, there are two options when it comes to God's love. You can receive it or you can reject it. That's it. There's only two options. You either receive his love or you reject it. You either hate him or you hug him. There's no third way. We think there's a third way and it's this, that we earn it. We think if I can just be good enough, I'll earn his love. You can't be good enough. You can't be good enough to earn his love as a Christian. Okay? You cannot earn his love at all. It's just free. It's just a gift. It's like if I said there's a million dollars down here and whoever wants it can come get it. Every single, none of you would think I better earn this. Hmm. Maybe I should run laps around the church and then I would be worthy of the million dollars. No, you would just come, wouldn't you? It's the same with Jesus. He's down here with his arms up wide. say, just come. You don't have to do anything. Don't do cartwheels, hoops. Don't crawl down here. Just come. It's free. It's a gift. You come with the empty hands of faith. You say, I'm bringing nothing but my sin, and I'm going to trust in you. And then you just rest, and you collapse into his arms, and you let him love you. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that... in for all of our sin that we do and that we love. We love it, Jesus. We love our sin. That's why we keep doing it. In spite of all that, you didn't get revenge at us. You became generous. We sin and we love the sin that we do. And instead of getting some sort of revenge, you became very generous in giving and you went to the cross for our sins. And this is just too much to take in. But we believe it. It's crazy. But we believe it, Jesus. We receive it with the empty hands of faith today. We receive your love. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We don't deserve it. We are grateful. Help us to share your love with others. In your name we pray. Amen.